This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. In this episode, you're going to hear us make a lot of jokes about Little House on the Prairie and the other books in the Little House series. And these books are at the center of the conversation about white supremacy in children's literature. And after recording the episode, we realized that the way we talked about these books just didn't feel right to us. Yeah, I in particular found myself talking about Little House in a way that sounded oblivious, uh, like I didn't know that these are, uh, you know, very problematic books. And I'm sorry for that. You know, we're not ignorant of the fact that these books promote a white colonialist worldview and contain extremely racist depictions of Native American and black people. Yeah. To be clear, we're not saying you can't make jokes about that book. It's racist. What we're saying is that making jokes about a book without acknowledging that it's racist isn't funny. And we don't want to do that. Yeah, but we are airing the episode as we originally recorded it because I, in particular, don't want to pretend like I never made this mistake and I want to promise to do better in the future. Yep. So all this is to say, it doesn't mean we want to avoid talking about problematic art or that that's even possible. We just want to do a better job of it when we do. Yeah, and there's a podcast about this topic that I've been listening to recently and I want to recommend. Uh, it explores the question of how to deal with art and artists that are both beloved and deeply flawed. It's called Fanti, F-A-N-T-I. It's hosted by Jared Hill and Travel Anderson, and you can find it wherever you get podcasts. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And today we are talking about knife skills. Yes, this was suggested by listener Lexapo. Are we sure it's not Lexapro? I I double-checked that. It's Lexapo. Lexapo on Reddit. Thank you, listener Lexapo. Yeah, so I'm excited for this one. Like, I think we're going to define knife skills, like, however we want. Yeah, when we first were talking about doing this, I was like, oh, God, but Matthew, like, I I really, I'm not good with traditional, like, what we call knife skills with, like, capital letters. Well, that's the thing. So let's get into that. Like, I mean, we got to start on memory lane, obviously, but we also need to talk about, like, what we think of as knife skills. Yes. Okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. So... I think I got my idea of what constituted knife skills probably from watching Food Network in the in the 90s, late 90s. 
And, uh, you know, especially, you know, seeing people like chop an onion and like do it really fast and like totally. chop some herbs and like turn them into like, you know, like like flying herb powder in, in no time at all. Flying and thinking, herb powder. Flying herb powder. Yeah. Is that uh, something they use in Harry Potter? Like it, to travel in fireplaces? Uh, yes. You, you just uh, throw... <laughs> <laughs> you throw some uh, some uh, basil into the fireplace. You just kind of put your face in there. You and, step in, and, and you just go places mentally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just and you just step in. Yeah. Um, we tried to to light a fire in our. We have a fireplace in our apartment. Not to brag. I always forget that you do because I've never seen you use it. We tried using it once, and I think we later determined that we thought the flue was open, but it was actually closed. But it oh didn't work, god. and uh, we used the fire extinguisher to put it out, and have never tried it again. Oh my god, are you serious? You guys are such. Um, I mean, I know I'm not one to speak, but you guys are like the most city people of city people. Yeah, like who needs fire anymore? Fire is for cave people. So we spent a couple days on Orcas Island over June's uh, midwinter break. Mm -hmm. We borrowed a cabin from a friend of a friend pandemic style. And anyway, the the cabin was heated only by wood stove. So Ash and I got to, you know, brush up our our fire starting skills and sure. and heat our cabin with with a fire and at one point, it was like 82 degrees in there, but we're really good at lighting fires. Not so much at calibrating what size they should be to adequately heat a cabin. But uh -huh. I yeah. think I once went to a school that had a wood stove. Is that possible? Um, did you grow up on a prairie? Or? I, think, I think I grew up in, in a fairly small house on okay. a prairie in a large wood one time there was there was this winter that was pretty pretty lengthy uh -huh. and uh, there was a there was a small river running by that had like peaches or some other stone fruit. Um, <laughs> what did hit the river? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. And we used to hang out on the on the banks of said river. Okay. And, um, God, uh, wait a minute! I was following you for a minute. Was it Little House on the Prairie for a minute there? Well, yes. Then it was in the big woods. Then there was a long winter. Then we were on the banks of Plum Creek. And then, and then I ran out of titles, ran, even though there are like three more. And then a river ran through it. And then a river ran through it. And, and Brad Pitt and I went out in our waders and caught a, caught a fly or whatever or whatever you do. <laughs> caught a fly. We got some fly balls. And then Kevin Costner showed up with some ghost baseball players. <laughs> it was very heartwarming. We learned a lot about our fathers. Oh, oh my God. That was brilliant. Oh, Matthew, you do not get paid enough. Wow, that was great. Thanks. Okay, wow. Um, yes. So, you, wait, you have a fireplace. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> there we go. There, no, you're, you're, you're coming back around as if there was a point to that story, but I'm pretty sure there wasn't. Wait a minute, you weren't, weren't you going to say something? Like, did you try to light your fireplace again? No. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought you were going to say that you tried it again. What, do you want me to try it again and, and report back on a future episode? Because I don't think I will. I'm too scared. <sighs> you guys have lived in this apartment as long as I've known you. So that's at least. Yeah, we've lived in this apartment for 16 years, I think. Have you ever had the chimney cleaned? No. <laughs> I mean, you probably don't need to if you've only lit a fire once. Well, I mean, first of all, I don't think it's our responsibility to get the chimney cleaned since it's like the chimney is like shared with, with the apartment above us and the apartment above that. And oh, secondly, right. like, God. I mean, 
you know, to hire Dick Van Dyke to come over and sweep the <laughs> chimney probably costs like, I don't know, my guess is $300. <laughs> And you will not be spending it. No, no. I, I forgot that it's a shared chimney. I, I mean, I, uh, I assume it is. I assume the building. Does, I I don't know how many apartments have fireplaces, but probably you, most of them. Do you not? Is there not a little part of you that's curious about, like, you know, how it could be cozy to like have a fire with your family? Yes, I'm a little bit fire curious. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I mean, I enjoy I enjoy having a fire with my family. Um, uh-huh. No, no, I do too. And and we had uh, when we went to a cabin like a few months ago, there was a there was a gas fireplace, and we turned that on. That's like magic fire. It was great. That is magic fire. Okay, so how did we get here from knife skills? I'm really trying to like carefully walk. I us don't back, remember. Like, like maybe like you skills, skills of building a fire is something like knife skills. So anyway, so I think at some point I got the idea that like to be a real cook, you had to have the kind of knife skills you see chefs on TV exhibiting, and later later learned that that is not the case. I absolutely believed this too, and. I think that knife skills up to a certain point are very important. Yeah. But past that point of like everyday utility, I think that they are overhyped. Yeah. I that mean, was my I think, hot take. Yeah. So so I was thinking about what is my definition of knife skills. And first it was like sort of just like it came up with like a descriptive definitions. Like it's, you know, how what knives you have and how you use them. Mm-hmm. But I think like. Really, it's like the ability to do what you need to do in the kitchen in terms of cutting stuff up without getting too annoyed. That's how I would define it. I think that's a fantastic definition. I think that for me, knife skills, I would add on to that or I would I would get a little bit more specific about the without getting annoyed part. And I would say being able to do what I need to do in the kitchen quickly and with the result being what I like intended it to be. Do you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, no, if you intend to make, to make like, uh, like fried chicken and you, you're not <laughs> able to cut up the chicken. And so you fry the whole chicken. That's different. That's different. Or, you know, if I am like last night I was making yakisoba and I was making like ginger matchsticks. Mm-hmm. I'm and making the, yakisoba tonight, by the way. Oh, nice. And the ability to to do that quickly and to have the matchsticks be approximately equal in size and like not so big that you chomp down on one and and that it's like an explosion of ginger in your mouth. Like th- this for me is is the the level of knife skills that I value having, but I don't really care whether I can tell the difference between between a brunoise and a... Batonet? Uh, That that must be some sort of a stick thing. That's a stick thing, A brunoise is a... a, a, Small dice? It's a small, choppy style thing. A small, choppy style, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like, I think that, like, the only things I really need to know are how to do, uh, like, a mince, like minced garlic. Yep. uh, How to finely chop an onion, how to chop an onion normally, uh, how to do, like, julienning approximately. I'm not even sure I do it right. Yeah. And uh, and how like how to do this quickly without hurting myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And not like the the things you see chefs do. It's like it's partly like just like a matcha thing, I think, and partly it's because like you're you're producing food in quantity. And like if I needed to chop fifty onions, I would want to do it as fast as possible on a per onion basis. But I never need to chop fifty onions. Correct. And the other thing is, you know, another another reason why chefs get really specific about knife skills and uh, like the size of dice that you're going for. Is so that things cook evenly, right? right? And like consistently from like batch to batch, right? Sure. And I and that is less important, of course, yeah. at home, batch to batch. But also, you know, there's just more wiggle room at home in general. No, yeah, so, my my home is is made for wiggling. We've got a <laughs> we've got a shared chimney that's perfect for that. <laughs> You've got that um that herbal. What, oh my god, what did you say about the the herbal herb powder? We've got you a, can uh, use it in your chimney. Uh, flying flying herb powder. There we go. Yes, yes. <laughs> Great. Anyway, oh, that's how we got back to fires. Right. And if you don't yes. wiggle just right, you, then it you, doesn't work. You can't fit in the chimney if you don't wiggle just right. That's what I've always said, too. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay, but hold on, Matthew. Back to memory lane. Yes. Uh, you know what? I told you to do memory lane first, and you went off talking about fireplaces. So I'm going to take this baton back from you. Okay, take this batonet. Yes. Okay. So memory lane. Yeah, I like you. I grew up seeing you know people chopping things uh, with great precision on the Food Network. Yeah, I saw and- a paw chopping wood out out uh, behind <laughs> the uh, uh, little house and extolling the virtues of of having wonderful knife skills. Yeah, Paul and, and self sufficiency. Yes. <laughs> Stop it. Anyway, and so, yeah, I thought that it was important to have, like, knife skills with a capital K and a capital S. That said, I did once have an opportunity to take a knife skills class at the pantry here in Seattle. It was taught by a excellent and very opinionated teacher named Mateo Gillis. Okay. And I think that I learned some stuff. But I ultimately wound up being like what I was doing already was working just fine. And right. I'm, I, so I do know that I chop an onion a little bit differently because of that class I took. But basically, if someone is watching me over my shoulder and they think that I like know what I'm doing in the kitchen, I feel very nervous to have them watch me chop things. Oh, yeah, of course. Because I'm very bad at basic things like curling my fingers fingers under on my like helping hand the oh, non yeah. the non knife hand I, like try as i might like this is supposed to be the basic thing right curling your fingers under so you don't so you don't chop them off so you don't chop them and so that you're sort of guiding the the knife blade right like almost yes and and i don't do any I of that i don't do that either no and not yet, at all and yet and yet I'm perfectly happy with how my food comes out. Yes, I've I've sometimes successfully cooked an entire meal without ever curling my fingers. And I still have all my fingers. Yeah, me too. So Matthew, right, what does five. this like? Do you think that a whole bunch of our listeners are going to be like, "Oh my God, I can't believe Matthew and Molly don't like haven't figured out how to curl their fingers under on, so. on their helping hand"? I do think that I hold my knife correctly, like you know how they say to sort of choke down on the blade. Yeah, I, I do. I do do that too. I put like really my weak. thumb and forefinger on either side of the blade. Exactly. It feels nice. Exactly. Yeah, I think that being able to hold my knife, like grip my knife 
knife correctly is is something that's something you you deserve credit for somehow. <laughs> yes, because I, wa- I think probably many of our listeners just like make a fist around the knife handle, and that works fine too. That works fine too. But I, I do like holding it the way I've been taught, but I don't want to do anything else I've been taught. Okay, so important update. These are the uh, titles of Little House books that I didn't think of. Uh, By the Shores of Silver Lake, Mm. uh, Little Town on the Prairie, These Happy Golden Years, and I fucking forgot Farmer Boy. Oh, my God. uh, If only Farmer Boy had been worked into that riff earlier. It would have been so much better. We would have been able to retire. Well, and then we would have understood where the peaches in the water came from. Maybe the farmer was growing them. Maybe the farmer was growing them. And they were plums because it was it was by the shores of Plum Creek. Oh, God. This is disappointing. Okay. Anyway, Matthew. <laughs> it's you- funny how Plum Creek sounds sounds really like idyllic, but Peach Creek sounds dumb. <laughs> Matthew, um, <laughs> could, you, uh, could you tell me, I, I happen to know that you've taken a knife skills class. How did it stick for you? It, I think, okay. So I don't really know like where my onion chopping technique came from. Not that it's like original or unusual in any way but uh like i think i did take a knife skills class like at sur la Table, maybe like in the mid 90s mm-hmm. and i don't know to what extent it really sunk in i i think i don't know like like uh i i, I get by fine chopping stuff just like you yep yep okay let's walk through some basics yeah like and to sort of compare what we do like Matthew, if you are supposed to chop or dice an onion, walk me through the steps. What okay. do you do? I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this. So <laughs> I think I feel like the big divide on onion. Okay, let, let's just go through it. All right. Okay. Okay. First, I have the onion pole to pole. Okay. Then I chop off like the first like half inch of the stem end where, where it gets kind of bristly there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do I mean the stem end or yeah, not the root end, the other end. Then I peel it, okay, because like I find it's easiest to peel the half after you've after you've like cut off that tip part. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then I make parallel slices, parallel to to like the leaves of the onion. So also like from pull to pull. Yep. So I like I hold the onion in place with my left hand and and make those sl- parallel slices with my right hand. Usually I'm chopping fairly fine. I want to say, mm-hmm. and so like maybe quarter <laughs> inch apart. Okay. And then I do not do the thing where I where I like make a slice parallel to the cutting board hardly ever. Okay. And then I then I go perpendicular to the slices I made and and make like quarter inch ish dice. Boom. Okay. And then well, and then if I notice there are some like pieces that snuck out that that are a little too big, which usually happens, uh, then I will like you know go after those pieces and cut them up a little. Okay. I do mine slightly differently. Okay. I you know I usually cut off the the stem end and the root end first before okay. I cut the onion in half. And I try when I think of it to only take off as much of the root end as I really have to, because the root end is like what what holds it together. Yeah, right? that's why I, I don't take any off before I start chopping. I, I for some reason, I do take some off, but just enough to get rid of like the hairy stuff and the, the skin. Sure. Anyway, so I I lop off either end. 
Then I stand it up on one of these newly flat ends and cut it in half. Then I peel it. And then I lay one half at a time uh, flat side down on the cutting board. And I do make the slices that are parallel to the cutting board. Sure. So yeah, where my knife is is parallel to the cutting board and I have one hand, my helping hand, let's say, uh, the palm of it is flat on top of the onion. Sure. What I do often do that I was taught to do in that knife skills class is I use my helping hand to kind of... I think um, we could all use a helping hand sometimes. I, I could use a helping hand. Um, I don't know really how to describe this. Basically, <laughs> I kind of, as the knife goes into the onion and is nearing the root end, because I, I, I've, I've inserted the knife at the stem end, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. And as it's moving toward the root end, I sometimes will take the fingers of my helping hand and put them on the the, the top non-sharp part of the blade and kind of uh, insert the knife until the top part of it is flush with the stem end of the onion. This- You're right. I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I cannot wait to see people's drawings. Like of what did you, I just described. Right, like your do your your fingers touch the knife for some reason? No, my finger well my fingers aren't <laughs> touching. Anyway, never mind. Never mind. Just forget it. I don't always do that. Okay, I, so so you you like cut cut your onions up in, in some sort of like otherworldly like, you know, fairy ghost manner. No, okay. The, never mind. What I was going to say though, forget that whole part cuz I don't always do it and I don't think it's that important, but What I was going to say is that usually the height of my knife, like from cutting edge to the top to the back edge, what do you call the the opposite of the cutting edge of your knife? The spine. The spine. From from the, the blade to the spine is often the same height as like the 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 onion half okay this is this is not while you're making the parallel like the cuts parallel this to the is cutting while board. i'm making the the cuts parallel to the cutting board forget it all. the spine is so so you're cutting like downward at an angle nope uh this is we got pretty far into this episode before realizing it was such a bad idea <laughs> Never mind. Because, like, I'm going to be next. I'm going to be, like, describing how I cut a carrot, and you're going to be like, what? Like, they're what kind of oval? No, forget everything I said. Basically, all right, Matthew. Basically, you take the onion, and you cut it up into pieces, and then you cook the pieces, (laughs) right? I I make parallel cuts, and then I do the cuts that are perpendicular to the cutting board. Okay. And then I cut, um, you know, uh. Across. across it. Yep. Yeah. And so actually I don't usually wind up with any pieces that I have to go back and cut smaller. You're right. I think that's the point of the parallel cuts is to avoid that. But yeah. I I'm just I'm too lazy and I feel like something's gonna go wrong. Huh. Well, I mean, if you follow my description, yes, something Nothing, will no, go wrong. No, no, if I follow that description, everything will work <laughs> out perfectly. Um, but what I also want to say is that, so when you're doing garlic, let's go from onion to garlic. Yeah. How do you, if something says to chop garlic, how do you do that? Okay. So I will, I'll kind of smash the clove a little bit with my finger or the side of the knife to make it easier to peel. Yep. Then I peel it. Then I cut off the little root bit. Mm-hmm. And then I'll usually kind of slice it roughly, and then and then mince by just like 
uh, putting putting my finger on like the the tip of the yeah. spine of the knife and sure. using that as a as a fulcrum. Okay. And uh, and uh, just going over the garlic a few times. And I I never really care if it's like you know super finely minced. Okay. I would say I usually do the same thing. Although even though when a recipe says to like mince garlic to a paste or whatever, I always like dread doing that step because it feels so fiddly, but it's so satisfying, Matthew. When it when actually I, becomes a paste. Oh my God. Like, so once you, once you get it, you know, sort of chopped, then do you add a little bit of salt, kosher salt to it and then keep going? No, like I, I've seen, I've, I have done that and I've seen it recommended and like I get the idea, but like at that point, I'm just like, I should have used the garlic press. No, I love, so once I've gotten my garlic chopped, then I grab a little pinch of kosher salt and salt what I've got there. And then I keep going with chopping it, alternating with- if you um, got kind it, of salt s- it. Smearing it with the knife. Oh yeah, no, I, I know this technique and, and it but, is very cool. But what's really cool is that the salt helps draw out the the moisture in the garlic. And so you know how garlic is quite sticky when you chop it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, so at a certain point in kind of um, turning it into a paste, it starts to give off this liquid that then makes it much easier to kind of swipe it or sweep it off the knife. And I love that. And the salt really helps with that. And that is so so gratifying. What kind of recipe would you use that paste in? I think I've used it in various like Indian recipes. Okay. Um, God, I'm trying to think. There definitely are times when I, you know, ignore calls for garlic to be turned into a paste and instead just like press it, like you said. Sure. I, I do love having a garlic press around. I'm drawing a little bit of a blank right now, honestly. Oh, I so know. Maybe, maybe you just do it to impress people. No, I also do it sometimes as like part of a like a marinade. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, for instance, because you know you want it to really be able to like smear on the meat and to not have these hunks that can burn. Yeah, no, no, you got it. You got to smear all smear, no hunk. All smear, no hunk. Uh, okay, Matthew, uh, yes. what, what should we do next? What about a carrot? How do you chop a carrot? So I don't feel like I'm very good at chopping carrots, but also it doesn't really matter. That's true. Um, like the thing about carrots is they they have a shape like the tapered shape of the carrot makes it makes it complicated it's to so chop. troublesome Ugh, like carrots. what i want is a carrot that's like a perfect like rectangular solid yes so um, do you think anybody you know how like in japan you can get melons that have been grown like you know with like a cube like a cube yeah can we can we get carrots like that i I don't see why not. Like we can, we can like mess with anything else. Let's ask Farmer Boy. Let's, you know, we should put on this project, Farmer Boy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Almanzo needs to grow square carrots. Okay. I think that's who Farmer Boy is. I never read Farmer Boy actually. So okay, so it depends on like what my goal is. So like, if I just want like minced carrots, then I'll just kind of like cut rough slices I, I and never... and then. Mince them? I never mince carrots. When do you mince carrots? For making bolognese. Yeah, I I just do a fine chop. I mean, mince is really small. Okay. Maybe your bolognese is better than mine. It might be. (laughs) Uh... For for most things, like I will, I will just kind of you know like like cut the carrot in half like crosswise, so there's like a thinner 
part and a thicker part and cut the thicker part into quarters and the thinner part into halves maybe and then chop across that. I think that sounds fair. I, I do that too. The uh, tricky one is like when I want to julienne the carrot and get for, for like making uh, like carrot and daikon pickle, for example. Yeah. And like it's never very even, but also it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. What are instances when you do think it matters? Because I think we're going to have a lot of listeners who are like, guys, size matters. Uh, yeah, you're right. I do. I do think that that stereotype about our listeners is accurate. <laughs> in, in home cooking, like, you know, like in what in what circumstance could it matter? I like, it, I guess I guess if one of my carrot pieces was like three inches in diameter <laughs> and, and one and one of them was like a millimeter and I and I put them through them both into a stew. Yeah, um, that would be fucked up, man. That would be pretty fucked up. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I think it's important if you're roasting vegetables, right? You're you want right. them to all be around the same size. And I do Except think, I do kind of like the too small piece of carrot that gets a little burned. But you know what's a real bummer is the too big piece of carrot. That is bad. Yes, that I agree. That is bad because it does not get properly yeah, cooked, you know caramelized, etc. Parsnips are even worse than carrots because they have like the woody oh, core that you want to remove and, and like and like getting them fairly consistent in size is important, especially for roasting. And I love mm. roasted parsnips. So I will go to the trouble for a parsnip. I will. But, too. I, but I don't like it. Yeah, I, I will go to the trouble for a parsnip as well. In fact, I have some in my fridge right now. Maybe today I will go to the trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You know, has anybody ever made a bar called the trouble? Like, oh, hey, let's go to the trouble. That's good. Isn't that good? I, I like that. It sounds. It sounds. It sounds like uh, it would have a pubby atmosphere. Yeah, Matthew, you want to go do trivia? Tri- yeah, trivia. I mean, <laughs> I feel like it maybe sounds a little too much like the troubles. Oh, okay. But, okay. But I don't. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I still like it. Okay. All right. I'll try. Uh, you'll, you'll try what? <laughs> you'll try opening this bar? I would not recommend that. Okay. Oh, you mean a bar in a pandemic? That doesn't sound like a good idea to you. I don't know. I mean, it says like it has trouble right in the name. So yeah. like, I guess I guess people I mean, are sort of warned. signing a waiver just by you showing were up. You warned. That's right. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Matthew, let's talk about what knives we actually use. Oh, I'm I'm excited and also a little scared for this because like I have I've like fancy knives that are going to make me sound like a fancy person. Yeah, yeah, okay. You want to go first? Yeah, okay. So my my day in and day out knife that I think I've had for 
I got it in like the early days of e-gullet, I want to say. So mm-hmm. so probably had it... Uh, 20 years? Almost 20 years now, maybe like 18 or 19 years, uh, is a uh, Masamoto VG-10. It is a uh, Japanese chef's knife, uh, so it is it is very similar in design to a Western chef's knife um, with a couple of key differences. It's 9.4 inches or 240 millimeters long. It is... You know, it's it's going to easily outlast me. It's it's a it's a really wonderful piece of equipment that uh, was not cheap, but also not crazy expensive either. I think it was 150 bucks, oh, probably more now. That's truly not not terrible. Uh, yeah, and it, I mean, it's obviously going to last forever unless uh, something terrible happens. Is it? What is the blade made of? Uh, it is made of VG10 steel, which is a a pretty pretty good like all around okay. uh, hard stainless steel that's not too hard to sharpen easily got it okay the things the things that make a japanese chef's knife different from a western style chef's knife is that it doesn't have a bolster which is like the thick part at the base of the blade closest to the handle mm. um, and the edge is slightly asymmetrical which makes it uh, sharper, but also like you have to be a little more careful with it because it would like roll over or, or uh, crack uh, uh, more easily and have okay. to be resharpened. Okay. And you also have to like, use a slightly different technique because it wants to like roll toward the right as you're slicing. Interesting. But you get used to that really easily. Okay. Well, interesting. All right. So that's my that's my number one knife. I have one other that I use often. So what's the other one? The other one, guess what? It's also Japanese. It is a Tojiro DP Honeski, which is uh, a uh, chicken boning knife. Okay. And I do use it for boning chicken, but also for a million other things. It's like a really heavy duty sort of triangular blade utility knife that is just feels like it's the right thing for everything that I'm not going to use my chef's knife for. Wow. And how long is it? The blade's like maybe five inches okay. long. And how at at its like deepest, how deep is the blade? I'm gonna say or tall, how a tall a little is the blade? over an inch. So so definitely deeper than a typical paring knife. It it would not so be it, good as a paring knife. And I never use a paring knife for paring things. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I don't think I've ever noticed your knives, but I I think that's kind of the thing with knives in general that I enjoy using and that sort of stand the test of time for me. Like uh, they're not flashy. They're just really good tools. I think I, I only really notice a knife if it's dull. Yes. Good point. Yeah. So I, the, the knife that I use all the time, uh, is one that I've had for almost 14 years, actually. I remember because Brandon and I got it as a wedding gift. It is Japanese. It's Ryusen. uh, Ryusen Blazin is the brand. And it's actually... So around the time that we got married, which was 2007, was kind of um, like Santoku knives were very trendy. They were very trendy. We already had some chef's knives. I I also have like a couple chef's knives that were my parents when I was a kid and that I remember my dad sent me off with when I moved to Seattle. I don't tend to use those because since I got this Santoku, it has become like my number one thing. And I'm aware too that it has changed the way that I use a knife in that with a Santoku, you don't do the kind of rocking motion that people, you know, are taught when you're using, like when you're, when you're using a chef's knife and you're taking like a knife skills class or whatever, you're taught to have a rocking motion, right? Yeah. It's difficult to do that with a Santoku because the blade is flat. You know, you're right. 
I didn't mention that when I when I was talking about my chef's knife. The the Japanese chef's knife, even even like the longer chef's knife, does not have a very curved edge, and mm-hmm. so also does not really lend itself to a rocking motion. Yeah. So so with the Santoku, I use more of an up and down motion. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because every now and then, like recently, when I was, I like um, to like mix it up with some rocking motion and some up and down <laughs> motion. Recently, in the kitchen. When I was I was helping June use the knife to cut something and I was trying to show her how to grip the knife and and how to do like a rocking motion, because in my mind, that's what you're supposed to do. It suddenly occurred to me like, oh, God, that's not very intuitive to do with a flat bladed knife like a Santoku. So anyway, I have stuck with this knife and really enjoy it. It's um it's a great everyday knife. It holds its edge quite well. It's just the right weight for me and like my body size too. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing. Like Have I used this knife? I bet I have. You probably have. It is like my all-around knife. Sure. I also, I have pairing knives and I don't use them much. I even have like a seven inch Ryusen Blazin utility knife. Sure. But the uh, the weird thing about that knife is, God, the blade chips crazy easy. Oh. And I am really careful with my knives and I'm constantly fucking up the blade of that knife. Um, I, I don't even know how. Yeah, that that could be a sharpening issue or just like a, a what steel it's made of. I think it's what steel it's made of. Or maybe um, you're doing something wrong. I mean, the only thing I can think that would be chipping it is the brief Do you period- ever try and like shave pieces off like a big block of marble to like <laughs> reveal the sculpture within that wants to get out using well, that knife? <clears throat> lately, I've been doing more quilting than, uh, than chiseling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so. more, more quilting than chiseling. That's I've our been, motto. I've been, uh, you know, I've been focusing all my crafting energies in that direction okay. rather than yeah. a lot of sculpting. Lately. So I don't no. imagine quilt, quilting would do, a, do much to chip a knife blade, but I don't know much uh, about quilting. Yeah. But the knife that I really want to talk about is this knife that doesn't look like much. It is a called a German breakfast knife. I love that name. Mm-hmm. And it is like the size, it's maybe five, five and a half inches long in the blade. It's got a wooden handle and the blade is rounded at the end. So it, it you can't really use it as a paring knife or anything where you need to have a really nice sharp pointed tip. Yeah, it looks really cute though. I really it's, like it. It's so cute. And what is amazing about it is that it is wicked sharp. So uh, mine is made by Robert Berger, a uh, uh, German manufacturer, and it's carbon steel. It's the only knife I use regularly that's carbon steel because, you know, like they they stay so sharp, but they also rust and you got to yeah. like take really good care of them. You have to like wash and dry it immediately after you use it every time. Totally. But I love this knife so much. I've had it for I've had it since 2010. You can not only use it to butter things because of that rounded end, but it's also so sharp that it is my best knife for cutting hard fruits like apples and pears. Like Like, when you were on the banks of Plum Creek. 
Yes. Uh, and, and Peach Creek, too. And, and Sil- Peach Creek. Silver yeah. Lake. Yes. I, I brought my apples and my German breakfast knife, and I feasted. <laughs> Do you ever use it for things other than breakfast? And is that legal? We pretty much never use it for breakfast, in okay. fact. Well, you can imagine if you were eating breakfast in Germany, and maybe you were having some, like, a dense, like, seeded rye bread with some, like, liverwurst or butter and jam. Like, you could use this knife not only to cut the bread, but also to do all the spreads on it. Oh, I feel a day of perfect meals coming on. Yes. But we tend to use it most for slicing apples and other hard fruits and for cake. I think this is the perfect (laughs) knife for cutting through like an almond cake. Have you made any more snacking cakes from that snacking cakes book? You know, I actually haven't used it yet. I just oh, bought okay. the book. I haven't used it yet. I think I think Wife of the Show Lori has made three snacking cakes so far. And you know, you know, I'm kind of a cake skeptic, but I love snacking cakes. Oh my god, I, snacking cakes are the only kind of cake for me. Truly. Okay. Anyway, well, why so- didn't you tell me this before? So like, and because I think I was I was always like thinking that cake meant like birthday cake. No, cake means like all kinds of things. Like, God, think about like a bunt cake, right? Like, yeah, I'm thinking about a bunt cake. Oh my God, bunt cake! Just having a bunt cake on the counter, like, talk about day of perfect meals. Yes, a bunt cake um, on the counter, or like a loaf cake with like some sort of a, a glaze over the top of it, or an almond cake uh, with you know no glaze, no frosting, no nothing. All these things, ideal afternoon snack. I don't know if I have the knife skills to cut a cake. I am drooling just thinking about snacking cakes. You know why I love the name German Breakfast Knife? Have you watched the show Parks and Recreation? I have not. I've only seen okay. bits and pieces. That's fine. I'm not I'm not trying to, to, to show shame you. There is an episode where uh, the gang is, is staying at like a, a rural bed and breakfast, like that they've like fled a campsite or something and are stuck at this bed and breakfast that they don't want to be at. And the proprietor says, uh, for breakfast, we have a selection of German muffins. And uh, Ron <laughs> Swanson, played by Nick Offerman, whispers, what the fuck is a German muffin? It's one of my favorite things I've ever heard. Awesome. Well, we'll put up a link. Uh, in the show notes to uh, the Robert Berger German breakfast knife, yes. which you can buy from this great kitchenware store in Berlin called Manufactum. I'm sure you can buy it from other places. It's like a 26 euro knife, I think. So, oh, nice. Yeah. So it's not expensive. And I'm telling you, I've never sharpened mine in 11 years and I use it every day and I love it. Okay, we can link to my knives also, but you don't need to buy them. The knives you have are probably fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of sharpening, do you sharpen your own knives? I don't. I don't. I have never attempted to sharpen. Well, I do have like, hold on. I have a little, I, I do have a steel. Yeah. But I only think to hone my knives uh, like every couple months. And I think they're so far gone at this point that honing them doesn't make a big difference. That said, they still are way the hell sharper than like your average knife. I mean, if, if if they were dull, I would take them to be sharpened. Sure. No, I trust you. Yeah. I do sharpen my own knives. I love doing it. Um, I, I do it maybe every six months. Okay. Um, and I have a selection of sharpening stones. This is like the most dad thing I do, God, probably. This is such a dad thing. 
like under like under the bed, I have like a little a little green plastic uh, uh, caddy um, with my with my sharpening supplies. I've got like a uh, four different sharpening stones. I think some of which have to be soaked in water before you use them. I have like this this deburring felt. Ooh, um, deburring for for removing all your burrs. You know, I will set up at the uh, at the table and uh, and just sharpen knives for a little while. I often cut myself while doing it, which also feels like a very dad thing to do. The only thing about it that doesn't feel like kind of kind of macho is that in order to get like the best angle for uh, uh, for holding the knife against the stone, I do have to make myself a booster seat consisting <laughs> of a couple of, of thick kick cooks illustrated uh, cookbooks and sit on that oh, booster seat. My God. <laughs> We have like a um, like a memory foam pad that we mm-hmm. keep on whatever. Like right now, I have it on the chair that I'm using to work in most sure. of the time. But I love the brand name of it. It's called Comfy Life. <laughs> I think I want one of these because I've been I, using just like an old flat bed pillow for this for like the entire pandemic. And why do I not have like a memory foam pad for my butt? I'm really happy with this. It's like horseshoe shaped. So, you know, there's, yeah. air, there's airflow near your oh, just like my butt, just like your, just like your butt. And it lifts me up just enough that, uh, th- that my dining table is the right height for me to use as a desk. Yeah. And it also just feels a lot better on my back. And Yeah. Anyway, Comfy Life. Uh, Comfy Life and German breakfast knives. It's really all you need. Okay. Comfy Knife, Comfy Life, I've always said. (laughs) Oh, you had one other question. So so another thing I wanted to mention is that, like, you know, for for some people, like, their everyday knife, uh, like, all-purpose knife is a Chinese cleaver, which is not something that I've ever learned to use. But, like, I love watching people use it. Yes. Um, because like and there's no there's there's no rocking motion used with that it's like very like up and down you know slicing chopping kind of knife and people who are good with a with a chinese cleaver like you know even even more so than like what they say about like a western chef's knife really just becomes like an extension of your hand and you can use it to pick up a bunch of stuff that you just chopped and throw it into a wok because of of the width of it like it, it almost acts as like a bench scraper Yes, watching some. I mean, I remember watching like Martin Yan. Yes, uh, was he on the Food Network or where was he? No, he was Yan Ken Cook was on PBS. I think. Okay, God, I mean, I could watch that all day. Oh, absolutely! Like like uh, taking down a, a like cutting a chicken up into pieces in like forty seven seconds. I think that has to be the coolest thing yeah. to be able to do with a knife. Yes, what like what is your favorite thing to chop? God, celery, celery, absolutely, celery, because it, well, for one thing, it's so easy in that, you know, you, you, I usually run my knife, I make cuts uh, parallel to the stock, right? And then I just cut across it. And so it's very easy to do. It's quite easy to do reasonably well. And it makes the world's best sound. Yeah, like snick, snick, snick. Mm Mm-hmm. The sound itself, even even if you're not using a serrated knife, the sound itself is sort of serrated as you're like cutting through each each of like the the little the, the strings. Little, yeah, the strings of the yes. celery. So satisfying. Uh, yeah, I've never used a serrated knife to cut through celery. No, I haven't either. I just I was like going for a metaphor, and it didn't really work. I was going to say, Matthew, let's be clear here: we're not using serrated knives to cut through. No, uh, celery. Do you use a serrated knife to cut a tomato? As I know, some people do. When I was like in my in my early 20s uh, living in an apartment by myself for the first time, I do remember 
getting a like small serrated knife like to use specifically as a tomato knife. Sure. And I have to say that uh, I sort of gave up on it. Like, I just didn't care that much. Not because I don't care that my tomatoes are sliced cleanly. I do. I know know this about you. But my, like, my everyday santoku, if I am treating it well, is sharp enough to cut through a tomato. Yeah, same here. I use use my chef's knife for a tomato. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Actually, I don't don't even slice a tomato very often. Like, usually, if I'm cutting up a tomato, it's a canned tomato that would that would cut fine with any knife. We'll cut fine with like your thumbs. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, I've gotten so into like having a couple of cans of of like peeled tomatoes in juice around. Did you I not would, do that before? Not not consistently, and sometimes you know, often I would buy like the diced tomatoes, which which I think are are fine, but like I, th- I like the whole tomatoes better. Yeah, I uh, think the whole tomatoes taste better. Like I've been using it to make like homemade pizza sauce and like, you know, for that Marcella Hazan, like butter tomato sauce mm-hmm. that you like uh, and uh, just and, and for like pico de gallo and stuff like and we've just buy, been buying like Kroger brand, like 99 cent cans of tomatoes. And like it, it's really comforting having them around. Oh, that's so nice. I'm happy for you. All right. All right. Well, uh, I think we've we've reached the segments part of the show, Matthew. Yes. Yeah, we, we've cut our show into segments using a sharp <sighs> chef's knife. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to supreme those segments. Do we have any spilled mail? I don't believe we have any spilled mail this week. Uh, get in touch. Contact at spilledmilkpodcast.com. Ask us. Ask us. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> ask us. Go, 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 go. Ask us yeah. a question or tell us something or whatever. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know okay. anymore. But we have cute animals. Oh, goody. Okay. I, like, I, I keep pausing as if I think Abby is like on the line and is going to play the theme music in real time, which is not how this works. But That is adorable. Okay, hold on. I'm going to go. I'm going to go look for the, the cute animal video. Yep. Shoot, I didn't pull it up. Just, just search YouTube for sneezing quokka. A quokka is uh, it's like a little wallaby or I think or possibly wombat. It's, I it's, always get those confused. It's spelled Q-U-O-K-K. K-A. Yes, oh, obviously. Up, oh my God, Matthew, it's so cute. Yes, there are a <gasps> lot of Quokka videos, but this one's sneezing. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God, what a precious boo-boo. Isn't that oh an adorable precious God. boo-boo? It is so cute. I've never seen a Quokka before. There are so many animals we've never seen. Oh my God, it's so cute, Matthew. This animal is one of my new favorite things. Oh, I'm so glad. Does it hop like a kangaroo? I think it does. Look at those legs. Look at those and legs. Look at those look pins, at, man. Yeah, uh, those those quokka legs. They go all the way up. Um, <laughs> Wait, hold on. Was I'm, that ever a real expression? Because it's oh my so God, it's, weird. It's a no. I've never heard that. Wait, I'm watching a video about <laughs> baby quokkas now. Yeah, I didn't realize. Okay, so it's a marsupial. Oh yeah, so they 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 hang out in the pouch. Oh my god. <gasps> Oh, my God. They have long tails like rats. Yep. Yeah, they um, are kind of rat-like. They're kind of like big, big cuter rats. Yes. Cuter rats. I mean, I think rats are okay cute. Yeah. But, oh, my God, these guys have such cute snouts. Yep. So that's the, that's the sneezing quokka. I, sneezing is not part of, like, the species name or anything. It's, it's just this one happened to be sneezing. Isn't it great when animals sneeze? Oh, my God. Remember it's when the we best. saw a sneezing owl? We did? 
Yes, when we went to the owl cafe, one of the owls was sneezing. I don't remember that. Like owls, like birds can sneeze. I don't think I knew that until then. I, uh, my dog, Alice, sneezes when she gets excited. She sneezes repeatedly, and it's really cute. Oh. Oh, my God, Matthew, I can't stop watching this video. I'm watching one called Baby Quokkas Are the Cutest Animals in the World. Does this, like, am I now forgiven for the the giant river otter that I subjected you to last week? Yes. Yes, you are. Except here's what's alarming to me, Matthew, is that YouTube still has the the giant river otter like over sure. in the sidebar <laughs> yeah because- <laughs> they tend to lurk in sidebars <laughs> and then bite your and then eat your face off yeah anyway do you remember okay. that part in uh, by the shores of plum creek when uh, the the creek got infested with river otters that terrorized the family for months all right so shall we move into let's our- let's do it all right uh, uh, let's move into river otter territory no what um, no <laughs> oh, we're going no. we're going to move into now but wow This is our show. I mean, this is our this segment. This is our show, yes. <laughs> it's our segment where we talk about stuff we're into this week. And Matthew, so Ash and I love watching. Like, there's just nothing like watching, like, a good gay movie or, like, a good sure. gay show, okay? And so we're always on the lookout for, like, a really great, like, good gay stuff. And uh, in this case, one night last week, we watched a movie called Twilight's Kiss, which was made in Hong Kong with Hong Kong actors. Uh, It's in Cantonese. And it is the story of two closeted queer men in their late 60s, early 70s. Oh, nice. One of them is married. And it's this very sort of quiet film about how they're negotiating their love amidst the constraints of their family lives, especially in Hong Kong, where it's typical for uh, multiple generations to live together, right? And it was gorgeous. It was tender. I kept thinking about how... Like, what a big deal it was for these actors to commit to playing these roles. Oh, that's really cool. It was also extremely sad. Yeah. Deeply sad. Like, Ash felt just devastated by these men's lives throughout the entire thing. I found it quite beautiful, and the the beauty of it overcame the terrible sadness of it. But anyway, you can find it um, on Film Forum, and you can rent it to watch at home. You can go to filmforumhome.org uh, and search for Twilight's Kiss. Highly recommend. God, yeah. Oh, man, so good. Okay. Mine, okay, so there's, there's, uh, there's a bit of story here. First of all, <laughs> how, much, how much backstory do I want here? So I, I am, I'm of the age where like a thing happened to my phone and I can't figure out how to fix it and <laughs> my phone is doing a thing uh-huh. and like I need to ask a young person for tech support. Oh and here's the thing that God. happened and I really don't have an explanation. Okay. Um, you know how like sometimes like you, you like hit play on your phone and like you expect it to start pick up on the podcast you were listening to, but instead it plays something from your music library. Has this ever happened to you? Mm-mm. Okay, just say just say yes for the purpose yes. of the bit. Oh god, okay. it happens all the time. So the song that always starts playing on my phone is a song that I don't recall ever putting on my phone, which is a live version of Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake. Oh. Um, and it's so 
like so energetic. This is and, the like, best. It's not always what I'm looking for, and this is not my recommendation. My so like I mean, Justin Timberlake is fine. Uh, like he he apologized for some stuff he did, which is great. Um, and uh, and I have no problem with that song, but. Like, sometimes what I do want is a sexy song that's, like, the opposite of that. That's, like, like a smooth, like, insinuating sort of sexy song. And there is this singer-songwriter that I absolutely adore named Victoria Monet. I don't think she is super well-known as a performer, although she has been Grammy-nominated as a songwriter. I realized recently that some of my favorite songs of hers uh, uh, came out when she was, like, 20 or 21 years old, which makes me feel very jealous. But she has a brand-new single called F.U. UCK, which stands for Friends You Can Keep. A friend you oh, can keep. Friend uh, you can keep. Oh my and it's, god! It's like a. It's it's cute. It's it's playful. It's uh you know it's a wonderfully written song. She's a great singer. Find it on all the platforms. Victoria Monet. F U C K. Oh my god! I love this, and I love how you got to this story. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I realized recently was <sighs> that uh, when I was a kid, this this episode needs to be longer, right? Yeah. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do was go to OMSI, the Oregon Museum of science and industry have you ever been i have been yeah Mm -hmm. um so like my parents would take me to omsi or like i would go with friends and like you know i would be going there starting from when i was like maybe five years old i have like vivid memories and one thing that i remember really well was seeing the posters for the laser shows and thinking like i don't know what this is but definitely sounds like a cool thing that i want to do when i'm older and of course like the staple laser show poster was laser pink floyd the wall and i did not know what a pink floyd was the thing i realized like this week was at the time i was seeing that poster that album had come out two years prior (gasps) it was like a newish pink floyd album oh my god (laughs) isn't that wild that is wild Ash keeps a running list on their phone of like dumb stuff I've said. That's I, great. Yeah, because I say dumb stuff all the time. What's that like? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, recently, recently we were, um, I don't know, we were sitting on the sofa or something. Anyway, I just all of a sudden I was like, dude, I am 42. And uh-huh. I started thinking about like how 42, like 42, if certain animals were 42. Like, <laughs> and I was like, if I were a turtle i'd be like like a pretty old turtle but would it, you but, but not like a giant tortoise no no but i wouldn't be like that special but if, okay if i were like a dog i'd be like a miracle dog like call call the tabloids um if if i were a horse i'd be like one in a million horse because like horses living to 30 is like a normal thing 42 not so much so anyway (laughs) i think you are a one in a million horse oh thank you anyway this Um, is a fun thing to sit around and do think about your age and, and what it would be like if you were an animal that age I'm, I'm going to repeat a joke, even though I don't remember who told it, but it was like one of my favorite jokes that I probably heard on a podcast, which is that um, all the dogs are just waiting around for someday one of them to turn 21 so that uh, that dog can buy beer for, for everyone else. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. I like it. I like um, it. All right. Oh, my God, Matthew. Woo, okay. We Wonder gotta, how long quokkas live. We got to edit this thing down. 
<laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, all right. You can find us online at spilledmilkpodcast.com and on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash spilledmilkpodcast. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you suggest an episode, episode topic there, maybe we'll do it. Lexapo did, and we just did it. Yay. Look, we did something. Our producer is Abby Circatella. And uh, until next time, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk, the show that never says dumb stuff. Nope. I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton. I just turned and looked at myself in the mirror because I'm uh-huh. here in my bathroom. I mean, I'm here in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.